The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. 1 Corinthians 7.14 mentions a believer sanctifying their unbelieving spouse. So what is the meaning and application of the word sanctify in this context? That's our topic for the day, and we're glad you've joined us. This is Grace in Focus. It is the radio ministry and podcast ministry of the Grace Evangelical Society. Learn more about us at our website, faithalone.org. And we also invite you to join us for the videos we produce Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Find them on the Grace Evangelical Society's YouTube channel. Once again, our website, faithalone.org. Now with today's question and answer discussion, here are Bob Wilkin and Ken Yates. Ken, I believe you have an interesting question from a listener, not from the United States, but from Europe, from yes, from Hungary. Europe. That's exactly right. She asked, I think, an outstanding question. I get asked this occasionally, and I remember having a long discussion of this many years ago in a seminary class. K.E. asked this question concerning 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. Paul is talking about when a believer is married to an unbeliever. And by the way, that's K.E.'s situation. Yeah, she says this is her situation. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. So in this case, the wife's a believer and the husband is an unbeliever. And he says the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. So Paul says that the unbeliever is sanctified by the believing spouse. And then it says, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they, the children, are holy. So it's a straightforward question. How can an unbeliever be sanctified? And I understand you wrote a blog on this. Her question is, how can that be? And what does sanctified mean? And how are the children holy? Okay, so there's multiple things going on here. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's talking about marriage. He's talking about the issue of divorce, which is in this very context. In fact, the very next verse after 714 talks about that. He's talking about widows who want to remarry, 1 Corinthians 7.39. If a widow wishes to remarry, let her remarry whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. And about remaining celibate your whole life. The beginning of the chapter is talking about that. And Paul says, well, that's a good thing, but there's not many people that have my gift to be celibate. So it's all about marriage or not marriage or divorce or being widowed and remarrying. And in this context, it seems to be talking about the situation where you have two unbelievers who marry and one of them comes to faith. It doesn't seem to be the situation where you have a believer who knowingly marries an unbeliever and then later on the unbeliever decides they want to leave. It seems more likely that what Paul's talking about here is a situation where someone comes to faith and now their spouse wants to, uh, may want to leave. Notice verse 15. In verse 15, it says, But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband? Did you notice that, Ken? Right, right. And it says, Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Well, you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about, I became all things to all men that I might save some. Well, Paul didn't really save anybody. The husband doesn't really save his wife. The wife doesn't really save her husband. 
But what this means when Paul uses this language is they can be the vehicle by which the person comes to faith in Christ and is saved. And let me just say something. I don't know what K.E.'s situation was, whether her unbelieving husband, they married as unbelievers. Right. But this would also apply if, let's say, you're an immature believer or whatever, a disobedient believer, and you marry an unbeliever. And then later, as you mature, say, oh, maybe I should get rid of this guy or something. So these teaching would apply in that situation as well. Absolutely. In fact, I read the commentaries on this section, and one of the commentators made an interesting point. He said it's possible that the believer who is married to an unbeliever may be thinking that the unbeliever is holding them back spiritually. Exactly. And that it would be more spiritual of them to divorce their spouse and then marry someone who is a born-again believer and and they could be equally yoked. Or the believer might think, my spouse is hopeless. You know, I, I'm not doing any good here for this person, so I just need to go on. Right. Because you know, they're, they're a knucklehead or whatever the case may and be. And what Paul says is... No, if the unbeliever doesn't want to depart, you stay there because God can use you to result in their salvation. So the question is, how is the spouse of a believer sanctified by that believing spouse? And how are the children holy? Well, the children holy. Okay, first of all, you know, Ken, what is the Greek word for sanctified? Like the verb to sanctify, what is that? Hagiazo, right? All right, and what's the noun for holy? Hagias, right. And those are the same root. The H-A-G-I root, the hagi root is hagios is for the noun, hagiazo is for the verb, and the root sense is to be set apart. Mm-hmm. In Leviticus, you shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And that's repeated in the New Testament. Well, it doesn't mean, a lot of people have this ethereal idea of what holiness is. It's some kind of, you know, and my understanding of holy is we're to be set apart people. Israel was to be set apart from the nations around her. The Jewish people were to be different people. They were to be set apart people. So the husband of a believing wife is set apart from the unbelieving world because he has a witness regarding Christ. He has a light in his home that is shining the gospel of Christ on that husband or on the wife, whichever one is the unbeliever. And on the whole home, right, right. And with the, on children. the children. On the children, right. So the children are set apart too. And they may be saved as a result of mom or dad staying there. But if they go through a divorce, now what may well happen is they may well end up with the unbelieving spouse and they no longer have an ongoing witness. Just a quick word here about our online seminary. It begins again in February for the spring semester. Classes are free if you maintain a 3.0 GPA. We offer an unaccredited MDiv degree. And this spring you'll find classes on Bibliology and Ecclesiology with Bob Wilkin, Second Semester of New Testament Greek, New Testament Survey, Old Testament Survey, Soteriology, and Logos Bible Software. To register and for more details, go to gesseminary.org. Now let's return to our topic of the day. Would you use the terminology they have a sanctifying influence upon them? You know, there's a... There's a holy influence because of the believing spouse that's there, uh, what we say, a witness or a testimony or an example. Yeah. I mean, Jesus did say, so let your light shine before men so they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
And didn't Peter talk about the fact that the wife who's married to an unbeliever by her chaste and godly behavior might win him over? And so the same idea appears in Peter's epistles. I can't remember the verse. You might remember it. It's First Peter 3, yeah, the first yeah. part of it. You know, the, the point is, this is a common uh, New Testament teaching, and we tend to think— We, like, there's three aspects of sanctification in the Christian life. There's past sanctification, when God sets us apart into his family and kingdom. Hebrews 10.14 talks about that. Hebrews 10.10 talks about that. We have been forever sanctified. Then there's a present sanctification, whereby the Holy Spirit is seeking to set us apart from the world around us. And then there's future sanctification, which is often called glorification. First John 3, 2, when he appears, then we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. And so this is not talking about any of those per se. This is talking about the sanctifying influence or the setting apart influence of a believer with unbelievers. And by the way, this goes beyond marriage. This goes to friendship, right? If you have a friend that's an unbeliever, and that friend is willing to keep meeting with you and hearing about Christ, keep talking to them about Christ, right? If they're Sure, open. and I like the word influence. I think that's more of a modern-day way we would express it. There is a sanctifying influence or presence yeah. in the life of that unbeliever. And by the way, it's not just the lifestyle. Now, in Peter, 1 Peter 3 It does have to do with her godly and chaste behavior, but the truth is nobody comes to faith in Christ by seeing somebody's behavior. That can attract them to Christ, but they need to hear the message of John 3.16, right? They need to hear the message of John 5.24 or John 11.25-27 or Ephesians 2.8. Yeah, no one is going to receive eternal life by watching the good works of somebody else. Now, they might if they saw Ken's good works. Well, absolutely. Well, yeah, well, there are exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of us, it's not going to work. Well, I, I want to add this. The reason I love this question, and I mentioned this about yeah. a seminary class, I was in Southwestern. I went to Southwestern. Oh, yeah, you went there for a couple classes. Yeah, I, I took a couple classes. I was in a, a Greek class, and we were studying First Corinthians. When we came to this passage, the professor said that the— I think the department head or another department head, his view was, and I just thought this was so bizarre, he said that what Paul is saying is that if you are married to an unbeliever, that unbeliever is saved just by you being married to them, and so are the children. But if you divorce, they're no longer saved. They lose their And I'm like— that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Especially coming from a Southern Baptist. I know. It was a Southern Baptist guy. And I asked the professor, I said, that doesn't make any sense to me. I said, I know he's your friend. and I know you might even be your boss, but that's crazy. Yeah. You know, like, how, how can that possibly be? He goes, well, I haven't had a long discussion with him, but that's his view. I said, well, you need to tell that guy he's crazy. I don't know if you'd ever heard that before, but, you know, they're sanctified and they're holy by the unbeliever's presence. I mean, just think how crazy that is. So they're saved now, but if I divorce them, they're not saved anymore. Well, you know, I came to faith in Christ toward the end of the Jesus Revolution, if you saw that movie and all that, in in September of 72. And I even went to Calvary Chapel for their uh, Saturday night Maranatha music in this big tent. But I remember it was very common then for people to say, because I came to faith in Christ, I know it's absolutely guaranteed that my whole family will. 
And they would quote, wow. quote the verse with Cornelius where they're told, no, it was the Philippian jailer. You yeah. and your household will be saved. And the point there is not that if the Philippian jailer came to faith, the whole family saved. The point there is that promise applies right. to the whole household. If their household believed, they would be saved too. That's right. why the whole household listened to Paul, not just the Philippian jailer. And so, you know, that's a wrong premise. No, people are not saved because they're in your family. <laughs> they're saved because they're in God's family. Yeah, and, and what we see in 1 Corinthians 7, and we appreciate the question, K.E., but basically the issue is the believer with an unbelieving spouse, or as Bob said, with friends, you have a sanctifying influence and presence in their lives. Amen. That's the issue. That's right. Great question, K.E. We appreciate it. And keep keep grace grace in focus. Be sure to check out our daily blogs at faithalone.org. They are short and full of great teaching, just like what you've heard today. Find them at faithalone.org slash resources slash blog. We would love to hear from you. Maybe you've got a question, comment, or some feedback. If you do, please don't hesitate to send us a message. Here's our email address. It's radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. And when you do, very important, please let us know your radio station call letters and the city of your location. On the next episode... Calvinism or not Calvinism. We hope you join us. Until then, let's keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.